On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we interview speakers and the leadership during the 12th Annual Ambulatory Surgery Conference for the New Jersey Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers that was held in East Brunswick, New Jersey on June 8, 2022. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 162 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for July 24th, 2022. We're recording from the 12th Annual Ambulatory Surgery Conference for the New Jersey Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and from our studio in Spenceport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Just a reminder, the ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic, and the material provided in this episode is based on information that was available as of the date of the recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry, and he is a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we are a little bit late in getting this episode out. It was indeed mm -hmm. recorded uh, over a month ago on June uh, 7th through 8th, 2022 um, in uh, New Jersey. Uh, I had the privilege of being there with uh, Tony Lyons, one of my colleagues here at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Mm -hmm. Sue, you were uh, at home uh, taking care of some puppies, I believe, yes. right? Um, <laughs> yes, I was. So uh, obviously uh, it's uh, been a very uh, busy uh, month for us, and we apologize for taking the uh, – uh, taking some time to get this recorded. Uh, a little bit about the conference. Obviously, it's the 12th annual conference, as we mentioned. Uh, I did two sessions. I had planned on doing one for succession planning uh, when you didn't plan for it. It's kind of a, a funny topic uh, title that I created there. And then, unfortunately, uh, my uh, colleague, Ann Geyer, who was uh, scheduled to do a session on how to successfully and effectively staff your ASC, was uh, unexpectedly uh, out of the country and not able to get back to do that session. Uh, so I covered her for that. I, I take no credit, and I take all the blame <laughs> for anything that was not said appropriately during that session. But it did go over very well, and Anne always creates wonderful slides, so it was it was pretty easy for me to uh, do that session for her. I had a lot of fun. It was a great conference. Uh, began, uh, as it usually does, by the way, with a casino night on June 7th. Uh, so everybody got together the night before, did a conceal night where they had an opportunity to, to go around and see all the vendors. And uh, we had a booth there for Ambitory Healthcare Strategies and the podcast. There were lots of prizes uh, for people that attended it. And I really had a great time, Sue, uh, with all the vendors. Tony, mm -hmm. uh, who is new to uh, the New Jersey conference, also had an opportunity to get around and see people. So mm -hmm. I really do encourage uh, you know people in New Jersey, uh, vendors, to uh, frequent this organization because mm -hmm. you really do get some uh, great throughput as well as an opportunity for the attendees not only to get, get great content, but to meet with uh, vendors that are, are, uh, are very attentive to our industry. Uh, it was, uh, the, the agenda was an, a unique setup with a novice and an expert track, uh, and there were many crossovers. And there really was a lot of good interaction, by the way, Sue, uh, in the two sessions I did with our podcast audience. And I did have an mm -hmm. opportunity to meet a, a quite a number of our listeners uh, oh, during that conference here. So, and just as we've said before, we always love the feedback that we get and we try to use that when we're putting together uh, sessions. Matter of fact, the next episode that we're going to do, 163, is actually going to be uh, on one of the topics that was brought up by one of our attendees. 
Um, so I just wanted to run through the different sessions that uh, they had during the conference, and then we're going to do some interviews with uh, three people uh, from the conference. The, the first session was a joint uh, session uh, called Proven Strategies to Help Your Business Maximize Your People, Minimize Your Risk, and tr- Streamline Your Processes. And the speaker was Mike Ross, who I did have an opportunity to interview. It was a great session I was able to attend mm-hmm. myself uh, talking about human resources issues. And then at uh, 9 o'clock, they had a future of healthcare impact of ASCs. And the speaker was Don, uh, was Dan Tassett, who is the chairman and founder of Nutera Capital Value Health and New Health. And again, I had an opportunity. I actually know Dan, and I had an opportunity to interview him. And uh, you'll hear that interview a little mm-hmm. bit later. Okay. And the next one at right around 10 o'clock was the one where you ended up filling in for Anne, right? How right. to successfully and effectively staff your ASC. And we're going to do a, a session. We're going to try to get Ann on for one of our, our mm-hmm. uh, podcasts here because it was a great uh, topic to talk about and very well attended because, of course, everybody had all kinds of questions about mm-hmm. it. And then at 11.15, uh, what technology should ASCs implement in their AS, uh, ASC? They were talking about EMR, tracker boards, texting, family, uh, texting families, patient staff. Uh, also talking about some of that UV cleaning uh, materials and even the robots there. And our, mm-hmm. our dear friend Darren Smith uh, from um, Surgical Information Systems, who uh, is interviewed at least once, sometimes twice a year here on the podcast, did yeah. that session. And a little after one, your ASC is a victim of a cyber attack, setting up a, dis- a disaster recovery plan. Ask the experts. It was a question and answer forum, um, and the speakers were Chris Dutra. Right. Who's been on our podcast. Mm-hmm. We actually tried to get an interview with him and unfortunately ran out of time to do that. And, and of course, our good friend, uh, Nelson Gomes, um, mm-hmm. who actually I don't think was there, come to think of it. I uh, just thinking about that. And Craig mm-hmm. Leahy was there from uh, Surgical mm-hmm. Information Systems. But Nelson was uh, was supposed to speak. I, I don't know who replaced him. And then at 145, I did the session on succession planning. Uh, when you didn't plan for it. So we'll, we'll try to get that topic in. I've, I've done it at a couple state association meetings. I'll try to get that topic in for one of our future, uh, item, uh, one of our future podcasts. And the last session on the expert track, right around 3 o'clock, was a joint session, um, Ask the Experts, with, and had several speakers from both the state and the New Jersey Association. And then the novice track was running parallel. So there were some sessions that were only for uh, people that went on that track as well as those joint ones. And the first one was switching from paper charts to electronic charting. And the speaker was Maura Cash, who was the vice president of clinical strategies for HST Pathways. Then after that, integrating life safety with the quality assurance program. That could be a really an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, it is. And Deborah, uh, it was by Deborah Comerford, who is a good friend of mine. And uh, I haven't, uh, I actually didn't see her down there, so uh, we really should try to get her on the, the conference. And then creating meaningful quality improvement in your facility, and the speaker was Claire Cerami, uh, and she's with uh, Positive Outcomes Consulting. And then regulatory compliance of surgical instruments and transportation. Um, that was by Melissa McVaugh from uh, Standardized Sterilization Concepts. And that was pretty much the conference. So we wanted to mention all of those sessions so that people got an idea of the types of mm-hmm. sessions that were at the yeah. conference. Excellent conference again. And I really encourage you to, to go to the New Jersey website. We'll put a link in the, um, the yeah. show notes here so that you can uh, check up on the, the upcoming conferences mm-hmm. there. Now that you know what you missed, maybe right. you'll try to get there the next time because it looks like a lot of interesting um, topics were covered. And, you know, I always have a lot of fun with uh, the New Jersey Association. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great state conferences that invite us. To, to go to them and uh, and do podcasts from. So I do want to thank uh, everybody there for uh, their patience with us. You know, we, we brought a full studio with us, and that was a lot of fun setting that up. And uh, obviously, we had to work around their schedule. So again, thank you to everybody who uh, helped us during that conference. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, have three interviews that we did during the conference. the ASC podcast with John Gailey and our virtual conferences would not be possible without the support of our sponsors and patrons. Our goal with this podcast is to help busy ASC executives and staff to keep up with the latest news, learn how to remain compliant with regulations and accreditation standards, and to provide opportunities for ASC leaders to advance in their careers. 
All of this, of course, costs money. And without our sponsor partners and our patrons, we would not be able to provide this service. Surgical Information Systems was an early sponsor that leads the industry with their software solutions. SIS's mission is to deliver solutions and services that help surgery providers, regardless of care setting, improve their organization so they can deliver the highest level of care to their patients. For more information, visit their website at sisfirst.com. Our newest sponsor is Trivalence. The Trivalence solution is focused on removing waste from the healthcare payments ecosystem by creating the next generation data-driven supply chain automation and payment optimization portal and infrastructure, saving countless hours, administrative costs, and allowing for scale. For more information, visit trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. Our oldest sponsor, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, is the nation's leader in outsourced regulatory and accreditation oversight. Busy administrators, nurse managers, and medical directors simply don't have the time to keep up with the constantly changing regulatory environment and the requirements of the conditions for coverage and accreditation organizations. AHS helps you to remain compliant for a reasonable fixed monthly fee so you and your staff can focus on taking care of your patients. For more information, visit ah-strategies.com. And last, but certainly not least, our patrons. For a reasonable monthly cost, our patrons support the podcast while receiving access to a database of important information, such as policies, forums, grills, and education programs, as well as the ability to meet weekly via Zoom with each other and the staff of the ASC Podcast. Visit ASCPodcast.com for more information. And our first session was uh, entitled The Future of Healthcare Impact to ASCs. And the speaker was our friend uh, Dan Tassett. He's the chairman and founder of Nutera Capital, uh, Value Health, and New Health. Let's listen to the interview. This is John Gale. I'm here at the New Jersey Association meeting in June of 2022. And I'm here with, uh, with Dan Tassett, who has uh, been on the podcast before. And, uh, Good to see you again. Same here. Same here. You just finished a nice presentation. Unfortunately, I was interviewing somebody else during your presentation. But before we uh, turn the recorder on, we were talking a little bit about, uh, about your, your passion and, uh, what, and the message you're trying to get across. So things are changing in our industry. They are. And uh, we've gone through uh, a huge transformation. And, and truthfully, we can blame part of that on the pandemic, of course. But truthfully, those things were happening before the pandemic occurred and are just escalating now. Can you talk a little bit about how our industry is transforming and how our surgery centers need to transform themselves, you know, to be prepared for the future? Yeah, I think there's two, two major things, and I think both of them were prompted by the, uh, by the uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. you know, known as Obamacare. And those two things are really the onset of consumerism, like other industries have really ongoing, whether it's uh, Amazon in the consumer goods industry, whether it's iTunes uh, in the music industry, Netflix, Uber, mm-hmm. all of this is undergoing this transformation uh, into a consumer-driven product as right. opposed to healthcare in the past has always been a provider-driven product. So right. that transformation is underway. And then, of course, payment reform, the, what people call value-based care, the shift away from mm-hmm. people's service to value-based care, a term everybody uses, but not very few people try to define. Right. Um, so that's where the industry is going with those two major drivers of industry change. Well, and I think that, you know, for so long, we have lived in a world, we as surgery centers have lived in a world, and in hospitals too, where we've let the, the uh, physician, in our case, the surgeon, you know, drive the business. We let our anesthesiologist drive the business. Um, and we've spent more time taking care of the doctor than we have you know, the patient in terms of, of recognizing the importance of, um, of catering to their needs and attracting them to our center. So just talk a little bit about how that change is going to, you know, how it's going to manifest itself in, in payer reform in the future. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me use another industry analog, if I could, for a minute. Um, I'll just pull iTunes off the table. I could give you a whole bunch of them, but mm-hmm. I remember when the whole concept of iTunes started to come out, that the musicians were kind of up in arms against it, saying, you know, there's no way I'm going to sell music for a uh, a song for a dollar. you got to go buy the entire album, even though you only want one song on the whole album. And I remember uh, Bono with U2 saying, Mm -hmm. I will never sell a song for a dollar. And within two years, he was on stage when they announced the iPhone 5 or whatever. And so if you if the analogy that you draw, drive is is that 
the consumer of music wanted it a certain way, and iTunes mm-hmm. developed a platform or an interface that they, the consumer could get it the way they wanted. Right, right. And the analogy would be that uh, Bono with U2 was really the uh, provider of music, just like we have physicians are the provider mm-hmm. of healthcare. Today, the provider and the physicians are really driving how healthcare is done. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the future, that's going to switch. And in my opinion, that change is happening at lightning speed. So yeah. it's going to be patient-centered, consumer-centered, uh, healthcare, not provider-centered, mm-hmm. around the convenience of the physician. It's going to be centered around the patient and the consumer themselves, those that pay for health. So what is that going to mean for a center? And you, you and your company, of course, own a lot of surgery centers across the country. What's 150 Somehow, yeah, and a lot of technology-based companies around to make this transformation happen. Yeah, so so talk a little bit about how the average surgery center. And of course, most of our listeners tend to be. Well, it's hard. It's always hard to determine exactly who's listening to us. But we know that uh, the podcast tends to attract people that are in smaller centers who are going to have uh, a difficult time with that transition. So, how does that group of people, you know, get themselves ready for the future? What are they going to have to do in order to be prepared for this consumer-driven care? Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole list of Things. So if you kind of think about what do I need to prepare for for the future, I would probably look at maybe three things. There's a whole bunch more, but mm-hmm. let me categorize it into three things and at highest uh, of priority. Number one is you, you have to start thinking about what is it that I'm going to be doing to really change the way healthcare is consumed and paid for. Mm-hmm. So if I think about moving away from fee-for-service into value-based care, mm-hmm. meaning I have to take some responsibility for the product that I'm delivering, mm-hmm. it means I have to take some risk. Right. So if you go back to any other product or service, go back to probably most of the listeners here don't even remember Lee Iacocca in the automobile yeah. industry, but as he revolutionized the automobile industry with a warranty behind right. the automobile, it changed everything in the future and how things were done. Yeah. I think healthcare and surgical care in particular is moving towards that and moving there very quickly. It's all right. in many states it's already there. So Similar think, to your your move centers, for example, which we've talked about on yeah. the podcast. I visited one of your move centers uh, yeah. yeah about six months ago. I talked about it on one of the podcasts and how impressed I was with that. Yeah. But but that's a good example of you know, yeah, how you guarantee. Right. So you have to guarantee that product, meaning if mm-hmm. you have to go back in and do it another surgical procedure over again, you're going to have, if it's an avoidable complication, yeah. where the patient has to go into the emergency room or has an infection or whatever that might be, yeah. then you have to stand behind that product. That's where right. it's going. So if you think about that, you're saying, well, that that risk could be a really big number. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to manage that risk, I probably need to go to think about a little bit about uh, a reinsurance to stand behind that mm-hmm. risk. I can't get reinsurance without some sort of underwriting process. Mm-hmm. You can't underwrite it without, without data to underwrite it with. Mm-hmm. And you can't capture the data without technology. Right. So the number one thing that I'm trying to impress upon this, which sounds like a little bit of a complicated dissertation, yeah. is you have to be very technology-driven to a degree that you've never done before. This mm-hmm. goes way beyond having an EMR. It goes beyond capturing every piece of the clinical journey, the clinical pathway, mm-hmm. before surgery, during surgery, after surgery, it's got to be data-driven, and you cannot capture that data without technology. So number one is to prepare yourself, back to your question, to prepare mm-hmm. for the future, you've got to be thinking about technology in a whole new way that you've never thought about it before. And you got to be very careful about what technology platform you, you jump onto to make sure that they're going to be around tomorrow and they're going to be able to provide that data in a way that can be analyzed and, and given to the organizations that might be Correct. parsing. And being around tomorrow means it must be able to interface with other technology uh, yeah, platforms. Right, so right. you can't be using an antiquated uh, type of a, yeah. uh, a platform. Well, and, and I think that's one of the things I've seen, uh, even though our company doesn't do a lot of startups, We've done a lot of startups in the last, you know, six years, actually, as a result of just the demand, you know, for it. And, and I find uh, many of these new organizations make poor decisions in the beginning because they get captured by a company that might not be very well known because they haven't been in the industry. They don't know the major players. And then they end up spending an enormous amount of money switching from one system to another. And then often they don't make the good decision the second time around either. And they end up with, you know, a third round of it in order to end up with a system that's going to be able to take them into the next generation. And the problem with where we are today is that we're seeing progress with some of the information systems that are Mm -hmm. out there. 
that the type of data capture that we need in the future is much different than what the way we look at it in the past. Mm -hmm. And let me give you an example. In a, I'll go back to the automobile industry for a minute. In the automobile insurance industry, the way insurance on your automobile was underwritten in the past is you would say, what are your, if you have kids, mm -hmm. boys in particular, what are their grades in school? And that's the way the automobile industry would underwrite. If they had good grades, they thought it correlated to um, less chance of accident. Yeah. Today, that is, that's an old school. It's an old way of doing it. And very few insurance companies, any, do that anymore. Mm -hmm. What they do is they use technology, GPS technology yeah. on your iPhone, and they have you study your driving patterns, you know, how often do you brake, change lanes, yeah. all of that. Uh, and then they, on that, they underwrite your premium for your automobile mm -hmm. insurance. Well, healthcare is the same way, and particularly a surgery center is the same way. Mm -hmm. If you have EMR as opposed to paper mm -hmm. records, you may think, well, I'm, I'm technology-based. That, that's, that's the bare minimum. Yeah. What you have to be able to do is say, what, how many minutes was the patient in the OR? Not only how mm -hmm. long were they in the OR, but how long was the tourniquet on? Yeah. What, how quickly did they ambulate and pack you? How far did they ambulate and mm -hmm. pack you? How far did they ambulate day two? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So beyond what we would typically say, what are the, what are the clinical infection rates, return to the mm -hmm. OR, all those standard things we keep track of, it's much more complex and detailed than that. And so, it may take a combination of companies, technology companies, that will interact with each other for them to be able to prepare to capture the data that they need to really be able to manage risk on a mm -hmm. basis. It seems to me, you know, of course, one of the things that we're passionate about in the podcast and within Amateur Ethical Strategies is quality assurance performance improvement projects, the process itself. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, you know, some, so many of our, our doctors, you know, the owners of the surgery centers, think that that's just paperwork. It's just a process that you have to do in order to pass the survey. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this is the reason, I mean, in the future, they're going to have to be thinking about that process to make sure that they're reducing their risk so that they're going to look attractive to those insurance companies that are providing that reinsurance and making sure they have the data to be able to, you know, to pump into those, that EMR system uh, to show that, you know, significant improvement in their, uh, their operations, taking those things, not just filling out the incident report and not just closing the loop on the incident that occurred, but identifying opportunities for improvement so that you have less of a chance of ending up having to use your reinsurance. Right. That old saying, you can't manage what you don't measure, yeah. is is more real than ever today, and it's going to be even more real tomorrow yeah. uh, and in the future. So when you think about you can't man manage what you don't measure, mm -hmm. the things that we should be measuring to simplify it are three things mm -hmm. that tie into what we call the value equation. They are clinical quality, all the mm -hmm. things that I was just talking about Copy. before and everything associated with that. Details what happens right. in the ER, tourniquet time, ambulation, net promoter score, patient satisfaction, mm -hmm. and cost. And so if you don't measure every single detail associated with that, you will never be able to improve the value. Mm -hmm. Forget about price transparency. Forget about quality transparency. It's value transparency. Mm -hmm. It's all of the above. If you don't measure those, you can't manage and improve them. Back to your point, right. performance improvement goes way, way beyond even how we think about it today. Mm -hmm. And most people think, and you just fold it out, they think it's a bunch of paperwork yeah. that's unnecessary. It's 100% opposite of that. Well, and, and again, we're probably speaking to the choir. I don't know how many doctors actually listen to the podcast, to be honest with you here. Uh, but I, I, I know that we have a lot of administrators and nurse managers, of course, that get into it. But they need, you know, as they're trying to get their doctors more involved in the quality improvement process, take it more seriously, um, you know, this is the argument that you can have. I mean, so that's my message out here is that listen to what you're talking about. In the future, those doctors are going to come back and say, how do I prove these numbers? Well, we've got the information. Right. We just need to put it in a format that can be shared outside the right. organization in electronic format. We just can't keep it all on paper like most of us are doing still, even in today's environment. So you got to so, develop a good system. I think there's another point that you need to make here in terms of the data and keeping track of quality improvement. I often hear from physicians in particular that those that pay for health care really don't care about quality. And that's absolutely not true. Not true. Yeah. What they really care about, they care about your willingness to stand behind your product or your yeah. service or your surgery. So 
they care about quality if you'll stand behind them. In mm -hmm. other words, if you'll guarantee the results of what they're doing, they certainly care about quality. They also yeah. care about the satisfaction of their insured or their mm -hmm. employees if they're self-funded. And of course, they care about the cost. Yeah. Uh, and so that to be able to think about all those measures and data measurements point to continue to make improvements on every one of those. In other words, to improve the numerator on value, mm -hmm. which is clinical quality and patient satisfaction, and lower the denominator, mm -hmm. which is cost. Those are absolutely important. Dan, as always, it's great talking to you. Thank Likewise. you so much for your time. And our second interview was with Mike Ross, the Director of Innovation and Development at Insperity. And he talked about nine proven strategies to help your business maximize your people, minimize your risk, and streamline your processes. So this is John Gailey here at the New Jersey Association meeting in June of 2020, and I'm here with Mike Ross with Insperity. Uh, Mike just finished a presentation on uh, human resources. I'm going to let him uh, talk a little bit about his presentation and just some observation about what's going on in human resources. And Insperity is a PEO. You're going to, have to remind me, what does PEO stand for? Professional Employer. There, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're good. I, I forgot about it. So, uh, you know, this is a tough time right now mm -hmm. uh, with human resources, and it's been very, you know, staffing has been difficult, managing the human resources department. Of course, all of the legal issues that have surrounded COVID, and even before COVID. I mean, it, sure. it, COVID wasn't, isn't the only driving factor or driving uh, problem that we have in the human resources side. So tell me a little bit about your presentation and, you know, what your focus was. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, even before jumping in, I'll, I'll just build off of that last comment that you made. We have seen, uh, you know, in the HR industry, it's it's what we, well, you know, we study it, we eat and drink it, yeah. right? It's it's, and and what we have seen is that these last couple of years have really helped. I, I guess in one way, it's helped us educate those mm -hmm. um, about HR, but it has really shown a positive light, right? HR used to just be seen as we're the compliance people. Yeah. We're going to come in, we're going to make sure you do your annual training, you're going to yeah. sign here, you're going to sign here, we're going to update the uh, employee handbook is needed, and, yeah. we'll, and we'll throw the corporate picnic once a year. Yeah, right. That was, that was kind of what everyone thought HR was. And and it really has been a tough couple of years. Yeah. Um, just with, you know, how do we lead people? Yeah. How do we motivate people? Um, you know, if we're sending people home and they're no longer in the office and they're working remote, how do we know they're being productive? Or yeah. how do we instill our culture remotely? And, and you know, it's it's different by industry. Some mm -hmm. industries, they laugh. They said, well, you sent people home? We couldn't. We weren't. We aren't a business that functions that way. Right. Or we are a business that... 50% could work from home or or just office staff could work from home, but others had to be in present. And so, you know, it's, it's been very interesting to see what challenges businesses have, mm -hmm. but it's been very clear every business has been challenged. And, yeah. and they've all kind of come back to our leadership skills aren't what we thought they were. Yeah. Our systems aren't what they we thought they were. And just our confidence in making sure we're taking care of our people isn't as good as, as we thought it was. And so... That is a lot of what we talked about today. My, my presentation focused, um, we, we pulled content from uh, a book that our CEO wrote called Take Care of Your People. Mm -hmm. And in there, he outlines uh, nine core strategies, proven strategies for helping to run your business, mm -hmm. helping to maximize your people, uh, streamline your processes, and minimize your risk. And so I, you know, I pulled uh, those strategies out, and that's what we talked about today. But then I also... Um, in there, he has a bonus strategy, a 10th strategy, which is faith and optimism at work. And mm. so we talked about that as well. Yeah. You know, what does it mean to have that faith and optimism? And, and a lot of that might be more of a leadership trait. How are you leading? How are you envisioning your company? How are you inspiring your employees? Mm. But I think it also comes down to the employees. Do they believe in themselves? And do they believe in their employees, right? Do your, do your internal leaders at, at all levels believe in their employees? And so yeah. that was, you know, a lot of what we talked about today. Well, I think leadership is a, is a big issue. We've been talking about a lot on the podcast and, of course, uh, some of our virtual conferences lately have been focusing on building leadership skills for administrators and for the nurse managers. And, and you pointed that out very well is that, you know, this it, it really brought to the forefront the importance of that of motivating people. We're no longer in the mode where we can just treat our employees as commodities. You know, we have to keep them you know happy. We have to keep them from leaving because 
you know, there's so many other opportunities yeah. for them. And, and one of the big uh, trends that we're seeing now, too, is it's hard to find employees. Yeah. And that's nationwide. It doesn't right. matter. I mean, it's, it's And it's not just nurses. Right. No. It's agnostic yeah. to the industry. Right? Yeah. yeah. So those, that, those that have always been challenged by that are saying, yeah, welcome to our world. Yeah. Uh, but then even they're seeing an, an elevated, uh, you know, area of challenge. But, um, you know, a trend that we're seeing is that a lot of individuals or a lot of organizations have found that they will promote up because it's easier to hire in at lower levels. Um, and, and that comes with a lot of being intentional. Yeah. You know, if you just promote people up because, well, you are here the longest, yeah. then you may be setting that employee up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we, I, I talked earlier today about the Peter principle, and it's, and it's a business principle that says you will promote people to their level of incompetence, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you're doing well at this role, I'm going to promote you. You're doing well at that role, I'll promote you. And as soon as you're just doing mediocre... Yeah, I stop promoting you. Well, what happens then is you fill your organization with what many believe is just mediocre employees. Mm-hmm. You don't have mediocre employees. You have amazing employees that are mediocre at the role they're in. Yeah. And yeah. so what can you do as an organization to develop them, to upskill them, to prepare them for mm-hmm. that next role or get them in the role where they really feel that they can be successful and that you can get that full value and potential out of them. It's so funny you should bring that up. My, at uh, 1.30, I'm doing a session on succession planning, which is exactly that whole conversation. Yes. yes. You know, how do you prepare? How do you, you – and, and your point is extremely important, right? The importance of, of, uh, of identifying people, moving them through your ranks, mentoring them, providing the resources, sending them to the appropriate training – uh, so that the Peter Pin principle doesn't kick in. In other words, don't assume that they're going to be able to learn that on their own. That you know yes. they're given those skills. Yeah. So you talk about the nine. Yeah, the nine core strategies. So yeah. let me. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go real quick and just say what the nine are, and and then that way, you know, if there's one we we could dive into. Sure. Um, so the first one was getting your culture right, and it's really focusing on, you know, what, who who we are, mm-hmm. and and you know we always we we warn people you're going to have a culture. Mm-hmm. It's better to have one by design than right. by default. Yeah. And and if you're not being purposeful and designing it, uh, it it's going to just create one. And you mm-hmm. will have, you know, there will never be a void of culture. There will be a culture. Yeah. Um, we, we always say, go back to those core values. Your culture needs to represent your values and, and your values need to really drive the organization mm-hmm. so that when tough times come, you can go back to those values and not yeah. just, as I called it earlier today, flavor of the month. Yeah. Hey, we've got a new this, let's try it. Hey, we've got a new that, let's yeah. try it. Um, it comes down to strategic planning. By the way, mm-hmm. that's another thing I do a lot of speeches on is strategic planning. It's just so funny that we're, yeah. you know, that so much of what we have been talking about here really fits into the whole message about, uh, about how we treat our personnel. Absolutely. And that was all of these strategies come from this uh, our story it's yeah, it's the yeah. insperity story and it's not the insperity sales pitch yeah it's the insperity story i'm i'm a terrible insperity sales rep i don't know our product well enough to be able to yeah. sell it um but what i do know is the insperity story and that is that at every at every inflection point our business had mm-hmm. we pulled back to our core and mm-hmm. said how do we as insperity address this challenge and yeah. then we would move forward and if that meant adopting new processes and solutions and mm-hmm. services, we would do that. But if it meant scrapping and moving a completely different direction, we would do that. We would continue to reinvent ourselves. And that's where we, you know, that's where we identified these and that's that's the insperity way. We, right. we will continue to reinvent ourselves and that's what we challenge. Uh, you know, any business is don't get stagnant. Yeah. Look at how you can reinvent yourselves. Look at how you can get the most out of your people. Um, and of course in an ASC, the quality improvement process is ideal for that type. I mean, there's actually a built-in and regulatorily required process that you yeah. can call upon to be able to do exactly what you're talking about. I, so. And I love that. And, and that was some of the stuff that I, that I think really resonated from, from my discussion earlier today was our CEO, Paul Sarvati, always says, I love bringing in new people to the organization mm-hmm. because with every new hire, we have just improved and changed the trajectory and the potential of our organization. Yeah, yeah. And it's so true. The people that you bring into your business, you're going out there and you're working hard to find the brightest, the smartest, the hardest working, the most motivated. Yeah. They align with your culture. Don't just put them in a little box and only yeah. give them limited information or say, this is your job duty only. Yeah. Right. So that as you were just talking that 
whether it's required in the industry or not, it's it's just good business to yeah. get the most out of your people, to, to develop them and grow them because they are the potential of your organization. Right. It's only through the people that you have and how you treat them and how you grow them that you're really going to be able to take your organization to the next level and yeah. again and again. I just wish we could get this message across to our owners and the physicians that don't, because, you know, we're talking to the choir here, you know, right, the people that are right. listening to the podcast right. uh, and, and, of course, the people that we're listening to yours, they totally understand it. Yeah. But, of course, getting that message across. But, again, that's part of what you're trying to do here is, it, you know, give the the leaders in the organization that information they need in order to get, get yeah. the resources from them. Yeah, strategy two, I think we touched on it, was finding, hiring, and keeping the best. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's not just, I work really hard to find the best, I pay them a lot and they stay, it's why are they staying? Yeah. What makes them stay? Why are they leaving? What can we fix? How do we how do we really improve that entire em- employee journey? Yeah. And, and sometimes that journey may be it's not a good fit. It's right. time for you to move on. But hopefully... Or making sure that you don't hire people just to fill because they're yes. breathing and, and have a heartbeat. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And so, um, you know, I think I think that, that plays into a lot of what we talked about. And then strategy three, um, that focused on compensation, recognition, and rewards. Um, and that's really just, you know, what are we doing in our organization to reward people? What are we recognizing? Are they tied to our values? Uh, Are they tied to our business objectives? Um, You know, we often kind of put them in separate buckets. Are you a good performer? Here's your raise for the year. Um, Are you a good performer? Here's a spot bonus or here's an award at the company meeting. Um, But are we aligning that program Mm -hmm. with where we're wanting to take the organization? Are we aligning that program with who we are? Mm -hmm. So that an employee knows I'm just as able to be recognized for living out the values of our company than I am for being a top performer. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I said this earlier too, and I think it, it applies. Are you value-based? And the best way to know it is if your values are only posted on the wall, you're probably not value-based. Yeah. You need to be able to live those values in the hall, yeah. right? Not just post it on the wall, but live them in the hall. Are you actually encouraging your employees to live in a way, to behave in a way that it's drawing them together, it's building them up because you're you're rewarding it, you're recognizing them. Yeah. Um, number five was about employee performance improvement. I think yeah. we kind of already touched on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's how you upskill them, it's how you manage that. Um, you know, you can't tell someone they're doing a good job or a bad job if you don't even have the basic fundamentals of HR in place. If you don't have job descriptions and handbooks, yeah. it's hard to tell someone they weren't doing their job. Right. But and updated and, and current yes, and something that's yes. looked at it on a regular basis. Absolutely. But even a job description, I think there's risk there to say mm-hmm. we've got, we spent a whole year, we got all of our job descriptions, you know, outlined and written and saved and, and we're our process that process is in place. Well, that's the bare minimum. That's exactly right. That's yeah. the bare minimum. You want employees to go beyond that. Yeah. You want employees to give you an extra level of discretionary effort yeah. where they say if you can if you can build trust and implement trust, then I'm going to take my job description to the next level. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do beyond what you've asked me. And and so I think it's you know it's critical when you think about employee improvement that sometimes it's the little things that get overlooked yeah. or taken advantage of. Well, I've got it in place, so that must be good enough. No, yeah. there might be more to that. There might be more to just having a job description. It's how do we then motivate them and inspire them and encourage them to go beyond just that description. Sure. Uh, number six is employee administration and technology. You know, this is just what tools do you have in place? How difficult is it for someone to enroll or update 401k or yeah. benefits? Or, uh, you know, I had a, a, a mid-season change to my dependents or I moved. Yeah. How do I update my address or my emergency contact information? And, and that used to be a differentiator. Yeah. There, there was a time when that kind of technology was, well, that company's got it going. Like yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, and now it's an expected. It's a yeah, hygiene. Yeah, it's, right. Wait, what do you mean you can't do that? Like, I, I have to sit on hold at a call center and try yeah. and update that information or find out what, you know, what doctors I can go to or what specialists. And so being mindful of those technologies, I think, is critical. I also like to take off the HR technology part on this and just say, what are your technologies in your mm-hmm. organization? Do you have broken technologies? Do you have broken processes where, where your front line is saying to the new hire, Oh, we don't do it that way. We do it this way. Oh, it yeah. doesn't work like that. So we and you have all these workarounds. That's exposing you to risks and liabilities yeah, when true. you start to do manual stuff. And 
And one of the critical parts, and it's, it's even one of the strategies, is, is liability and compliance. Yeah. And if you've got broken systems, you've got old technologies, you're putting yourself at risk. And you're also disengaging mm-hmm. your employee. Because they're, they're frustrated. Why, why do I have to use this tool day in yeah. and day out? I've got all these manual processes. This isn't worth it. This is too yeah. much. And so you know, being really mindful of, is it time to spend a little bit of money internally and, yeah. and, and, and update some processes and some systems so that our people can get the most out of them. Especially since there's so many options available out there right now mm-hmm. to it. And I know that full well because we keep switching them. Which, which, by the way, hint to everybody else, don't keep switching your systems. But, but I think that's been the challenge over the last couple of years is there are a lot of different competitors out there. And as systems evolve, you know, you, hopefully you find the one that's going to evolve with you. But it doesn't always work that way. But, yeah, very good point. Um, strategy seven was human capital. Um, and mergers and acquisitions. And this one really focuses uh, almost a message to the CEOs and, mm-hmm. and, and leaders of these organizations to say, if that's your growth strategy, mm-hmm. what are you doing to make sure that you're shirt up mm-hmm. in your organization, but also the companies that are your targets, that they're shirt up? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we look at great sales results, we look at, 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 at positive profit and loss statements and cash flows and say, Numbers are all there. This is mm-hmm. great. And what we don't realize is we've got disgruntled employees. Yeah. We've got EEOC um, claims that, that haven't been dealt with correctly. And yeah. so we may be buying ourselves into a lot of headaches in the next year or mm-hmm. two. As well, is there a culture alignment? Yeah. Because you're about to take people that you really love, that, that love you, that are in your organization, that have dedicated you know years possibly to your company and you're about to merge them with strangers and yeah. and what's the promotion process at that point whose values win mm-hmm. are you adopting yours and pushing them into the new organization or are you taking the new organizations and bringing them in what is leadership structure how do you yeah. decide who takes what role and and so there is a lot of i think overlooked mm-hmm. opportunity on the HR side when you're in this world oftentimes it's you know, let's look at the business case. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at, you know, we're going to grow our, our regional geographic reach. We're going to grow our market share. We're going to grow. Maybe we're, we're purchasing into new services. We're expanding our offerings. And they miss what is that going to do to the people. And if, and if you are too disruptive to that process and don't have a good enough plan in place, you're going to miss out on all of those great numbers that mm-hmm. your business case stated. Well, and in the vernacular of an ASC, the average ASC, what, what we're talking about acquisitions, uh, often our ASCs, the people that are listening to the podcast, mm. they're being acquired by one of the bigger organizations. Yeah. And there's a real danger at that point of losing the people that you've had a long time, yeah. uh, let alone, you know, the, the, the bringing that corporate structure in there to, to oversee Absolutely. It. And that's yeah. what I saw today, you know, when I was presenting when I when I kind of touched on that piece, there was yeah. a lot more heads that said, "Yeah, we we, we, know, we we're nodding it. to the getting acquired part versus the you know the being, acquiree, being, being acquirer, acquired, yeah, the acquirer." Yeah. And so, absolutely, yeah. and, and I think that leads us to nicely into um, strategy eight was organization and leadership. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about this even before we turned the mics on today. Yeah. Your leadership really really has a lasting impact on mm-hmm. the organization, and if you're not a leadership group that's getting together and and being purposeful and mindful about where you're taking the organization, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we mentioned it. When you're looking at compensation, it's not just about paying the most, but it's what behaviors do we want to see our employees have? Mm-hmm. And how are we rewarding that? How are we building that into our compensation plans? Yeah. And, and so it really requires leaders to get away and work on the business, not yeah. just working in the business. And, right. and you know, again, different industries, this may look different, right? Mm-hmm. You may, you, it, it may be that in this area, your CEOs, more of the business side, they're on the business and not in it because it's not their specialty. And they yeah. leave, they leave the daily operations to those that, that have the specialties, the certifications, the trainings, the degrees. But I would then even challenge that level of leadership, mm-hmm. find a way of getting out and saying, how can I look at the business and, and fine tune some of these things that are being expected from us from a business perspective yeah. that are getting that 
kind of muddied and, and, and convoluted in the actual daily operations. Well, and that's a very important thing for our, again, our listeners. So many of our leaders in the surgery centers are being called in to actually cover for employees that you don't have right now, doing things that you used to have other employees doing. Yeah. And they get, and you're so right, you get bogged down in that detail, that minutia. You got away from, you know, you were promoted out of that, yes. and now you're getting dragged into it, which means that you're losing that ability to look at the big picture and to, to think about future growth, which is it's eventually going to catch up with yeah. you. And we actually, that was a, that, a great point, and we saw that trend go both directions mm-hmm. when the pandemic. Came. Yeah, yeah. Um, because what we saw is a lot of those leaders that had been, as you put it, promoted out, yeah. realized we're facing things in our business we've never had to yeah. face before. And so a lot of them, if they were good, rolled up their sleeves and yeah. got back in the business and said, how do I get back to the tactical? Right. How do I look at what our business needs? How do I look at what our employees need? How do I look at what our customers need and make those changes and adjustments? And the mm-hmm. organizations that made those changes and adjustments are still here and they're strong. Correct. Those awesome. that didn't, they struggle or they right. fail. Or they're continuing to struggle right now yes. and, and are yes. on the verge. And yeah. the other thing that I'll, I'll add is then we saw the other trend. And that is as organizations were coming out of all of the, the strict impact or significant impact of um, the pandemic, you had leaders that were forgetting how to get back into the strategic yeah. Yeah, part. And they were still stuck in the tactical. Yeah. And so I think right now you're seeing a lot of businesses that – you, their horizon isn't as far as it used to be yeah. because they're really just looking at the tactical piece. Yeah. And there's great opportunity moving forward for them to kind of roll their sleeves down a little bit yeah. and say, okay, I'm going to empower again right. the people that I had empowered before, yeah. that middle-level leadership to say, I'm, I don't need to run it anymore. Right. I'm going to go back and look at the five-year horizon or the three-year horizon, and you're going to come back into that role. Yeah. But until you get headcount, which is a, a real challenge, you may still have kind of that, that middle level of leadership that's kind of doing dual, where yeah. one day they're rolling up their sleeves and, and diving into it, and the other day they're, they're back to kind of leading and, and nurturing and growing their people and, and their divisions. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're to the last one. Well, the strategy nine, and then we've got a bonus one. Um, strategy nine is employee communications. And mm-hmm. this one really, um, it's, it's all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talked about it earlier today. We, we hire great people. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of times we say our people are our greatest, our greatest competitive advantage. Well, I don't, I wouldn't go that far because I think your competitors are probably also hiring yeah, right. great people, right? <laughs> probably from you. <laughs> yeah, right. In, in today's market. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Um, but what are we doing after we hire them? Mm-hmm. And when we leave employees in the dark, when we leave employees where they're not able to really engage and put in their all, we're missing out, as I mentioned earlier, on that full potential, yeah. um, you know, where, where we can get the most out of them and our organization can get the most out of them mm-hmm. and the organization can get the most out of itself. And so, you know, when it comes to, in, you know, employee communication, it's how are we communicating? Mm-hmm. How often are we communicating? And what are we communicating? Yeah. Are we only focused on business results? Or are we only focused on calling out the problems and saying, this needs to fix, yeah. this needs to fix? Or are we saying, you know, here's our values. Here's opportunities for growth. Here's an opportunity that we want to give a shout out that's, that Susie did a great job or Tom mm-hmm. did a great job. And they really, um, you know, lived out our value and, and highlighted this. And we want to call that out and recognize that. What are we communicating is, is just as critical as to how and when. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of organizations, this was a, a big struggle uh, in the early years of the pandemic. If, if we're far enough along to say early years. Yeah, um, yeah. But when it really kicked off and we started having to communicate different and work different, um, you know, what we communicated was different, how we communicated was different. And I think it's just a good opportunity to kind of step back and say, what is the message? How mm-hmm. are we getting it out there? How often are we getting it out there? And, and then listening. Yeah, and I think that's also another piece of communication. We often just think it's it's top down. Yeah, very and well said. We can learn so much, and I'm and I'm sure, like you said, we're preaching to the choir. I'm sure the choir's like, I couldn't sing any louder. Like, can <laughs> somebody hear my praises? Well, but but for our leaders too, making sure that um, those conversations that you have are conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, staff meetings should not be me telling my staff yes. everything. You know, it should be uh, providing time because you can do that. 
in an email. You can do yes. that in other ways. Yes. You know, save that that FaceTime for that opportunity for a dialogue to occur. And what great opportunity to to get <clears throat> the insights that you don't have access yeah. to. Yeah. When you're, you know, when you're in the ivory tower and you're you're a, a C-suite of a few that are so far removed from the customer, you miss out on yeah. so many opportunities. And and that plays the whole way down, right? Yeah. There will yeah. always be there will always be more frontline employees than there are than there are managers, middle managers. There will always be more middle managers than there are executives, more executives than than all the way up, right? There will always be that ratio, mm-hmm. and we miss out on the learning that can happen, like you said, in those conversations where you can say, "Hey, I have some thoughts, but I want to bring up a challenge that we're seeing and just yeah. see what you guys think about it." Well, and and listening and letting and letting your people know that you're willing to listen. That doesn't mean you have to do it, mm-hmm. but you may be able to fine tune your plan based on the feedback you were able to gather from your people. Mm-hmm. So you got a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a bonus. There you go. So, uh, so in, in the, in the book, take care of your people, uh, there's a tense strategy and it's, it's faith at work, um, faith and optimism. And, and really I'll touch on just the three bullet points that I think accentuate it. And it's, it's an entrepreneurial faith. Mm-hmm. And it's an entrepreneurial faith that, as is described, it's a rush of unexplainable optimism about the future that's motivated by more than just a personal desire for wealth. And, mm-hmm. and that's and that's a lot of words, but if you kind of slow that down and think about it, it's optimism and excitement to do something more than just make money. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, we we are a, a you know, a mission-driven organization. We help businesses succeed so communities yeah. prosper. It's large. It can mean so many different things, but I think when you unite people behind a greater purpose, mm-hmm. um, you're going to get you're going to get through the harder times easier and you're going to get more out of them in in the good times. Well, and it's such important in in a healthcare organization, that's exactly what we do. I mean, it, it's a natural for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it goes on then to say too, there's something else that electrifies the dream and churns inside the dreamer. The tantalizing prospect of creating something from nothing in route to building an enterprise. I love it. And, it, you know, again, I think that's even just a fraction of the way mm-hmm. we could capture, like you said, when you are intrinsically motivated, when there is a passion and a love for what you do, mm-hmm. you'll give it your all. Mm-hmm. But that can quickly be killed. And so, you know, yeah. you have to be mindful. It goes back to the leadership. It goes back to how you're maximizing your people, how you're minimizing risks, how you're streamlining. They are so interrelated yeah. that one one can relieve the other and, and, and impact or emphasize another. And so when you're really thinking about those three areas and how they interplay together, you you have a great opportunity to increase and build that hope. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what this is saying is, how are you playing into that? Yeah. How are you being mindful of that? How are you being purposeful? Um, you know, are you nurturing hope and gaining confidence in your product, in your mm-hmm. people, in yeah. your organization? Um, you know, do you have a resolve and a determination to push through distractions and limitations? And, mm-hmm. and businesses, I think over the last couple of years, really found a lot of distractions. And mm-hmm. those that had that resolve, had that entrepreneurial spirit and faith, I think they moved through. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily unscathed, but, but they, they could take their strikes, they could take their beatings, and they could rise up above it. And, yeah. and they're stronger and better for it. We, the last thing I'll, I'll say, and, and then I'll, 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 I'll take a breath. Um, <laughs> I know, and we're running out of time here, oh, so yeah. unfortunately. But, yeah, no, yeah. Um, you, know, it's, it's, you know, we just talk about you should be ready for the next pandemic, whatever yeah, it is. That well right? If you yeah. didn't learn from this, then you you didn't do your yeah, job. Yeah. Um, you know, we should be ready for how we communicate, how we motivate, how we mm-hmm. inspire, how we stop and listen to people, um, how we you know how we work to uh, you know encourage them and build on them. And and if and if we aren't able to do that, mm-hmm. um, then then we missed a great opportunity. That, that's a silver lining in in what's been a lot of challenging uh, times over the last couple. So in our last couple minutes here, yes. can you quickly uh, just uh, talk about the advantages of using a PEO? You know, um, and, and, and you'll see quickly, I'm not a sales, a sales person <laughs> at this point, but, um, you know, I really think that if you have a dedicated HR staff, um, they would probably tell you a lot of their time is wasted on doing just the trivial, yeah. doing the tactical, um, making sure that, that payrolls are run or, or time offs are processed or timesheets are processed. And it's, and it's really administrative. 
you are missing out on on the opportunity to really build a comprehensive human capital strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, in you know, our organization, we focus on that. That's one of the things we we help with is that. <laughs> but I think even if you've got dedicated HR people, they probably have those skills. And we can take a lot of the mundane, the processes, and streamline those and give you access to better benefits, better systems, yeah. um, you know, better tools. And, and particularly, I'll, I'll give a, a disclaimer to why ours over someone else. We really were built on a service model. Mm-hmm. So where, you know, where others will tout an advantage of streamlined systems and processes and technologies, well, what happens when the technology goes down? What happens yeah. when the system breaks? Um, you know, you're really left. So what ha- happens struggling. when you have a turnover? Yes. Yeah. I yes. mean, especially during the pandemic, we lost a lot of. I mean, in our own company, we've gone through three human resources people yes. in the last ninety. Uh, I'm sorry, in the last nine months. Yeah. So I mean, you, that's yeah. that's what probably one of the biggest advantages that, that you would have. Is you wouldn't have that. There problem. is someone at the other end of the phone, based yeah. on whatever challenge you need, or just our general liaison, yeah. right? That's going to say. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you when you're struggling to hire. I'm going to help you when you're struggling to grow and train. Yeah. I'm going to help you when you're struggling to let someone go. Yeah. I'm going to be there to help minimize your risks, to help maximize your people and help yeah. streamline your processes. And and I think when you turn a lot of your, your non-core business activities over to someone who specializes in it, mm-hmm. it frees up your resources and your abilities to focus really on the core of what your business does. Yeah. And that's, that's what we do. We help companies you know, run better, grow faster, make more money by helping to, to really allow them to leverage their core strengths. And I think that's where we're going to have to end it. Awesome. It's been great. I, I so much enjoyed this, and I think our mm-hmm. listeners are uh, got a lot out of it. So thanks, thanks for your you time. Know, I appreciate this opportunity, and it's great getting to, to meet with you and work with you. Absolutely. So for our last session, we had an opportunity to speak with uh, the uh, executives from the New Jersey Association, Sheila McAteer, who is the immediate past president, and she's with uh, Virtua. Uh, and she talked about the association and, you know, what's been going on with the organization over the past year. And with her was Joseph Simonetta, who is with Public Strategies Impact, who does a lot of their uh, work with the, um, the, the state government as well as the uh, uh, Department of Health. So let's listen to this interview. So this is John Gale. I'm here at the New Jersey State Association meeting in June of 2022, and I'm here with uh, Sheila McAteer, who is uh, she? She works for uh, Virtual Health, but she's the president, current president, newly reelected president of the New Jersey Association. And also with us is Joe Simonetta, who is uh, with Public Strategies Impact. Right? Did I say that? That's correct. Um, and which are you basically do your government affairs work, right? That's right. So I'm going to start with you, Sheila. This is your second. You're starting your second year. The second term. So this is actually my third term. Okay. But it's uh, my first year as president. I okay. started as uh, just a, a board member and secretary, and then I went to vice president, uh, and then I am now president. Uh, we did elect three new uh, members for the board, and I yeah. am one of those. We will be um, electing the officers at our next board. in-person meeting, which will be in July. Wonderful. So the two positions that will be open will be the president and vice president. So we'll see if that continues for myself or somebody new. Yeah. Either way, uh, the board will work very collaborative together and work for the members and ensure that we uh, have great communication for them and educational items. So, you know, however that works, whether it's me or not, I will work uh, diligently uh, for the membership. Well, I got to say, on behalf of the podcast and uh, m- me personally as a speaker here, I've always enjoyed working with New Jersey. You guys are great. You put together a great conference. Uh, I know it's not easy. You know, we do a lot of work in New York, so uh, it, your neighbors, uh, <laughs> so we, we know how difficult it is to put together these conferences, but you do a fantastic job. We're also a vendor here, and you've been very great for all of us. So. so speaking of the annual event, I do mm-hmm. want to great, give out a big uh, shout out to Bonnie because without yeah. her leadership on the committee, none of this would occur. This was her original idea 12 yeah. years ago, and she's been working at this every year. And the programs, the prizes, everything is just awesome. And a lot yeah. of that has to do with her leadership and the committee. I don't want to leave out anybody on the committee as Understood. well. So it's, you know. I'm just grateful to have that. Well, and I do want to say on behalf of the vendors, too, this has been probably the best vendor experience we've had in the last couple of months. It's tough getting back, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of, I mean, you've got a very good attendance here, and you've got a very loyal 
you know, group of people here. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about why you got a good group. You know, I mean, you, you, you provide a lot of great benefits. I get daily emails from New Jersey Association. Talk a little bit about what is the benefit of being a member here? So the benefit, uh, one of them is, uh, which I'm going to let Joe speak to in a little bit, is the uh, ability to have somebody in the legislative world and be able to bring forth what we as an association and what it benefits a uh, ASC, as you know, a surgery center in New Jersey. Along with that, we have a great communication with the Department of Health. We are doing quarterly meetings, but beyond that, we could make a phone call, an email, a text, Mm -hmm. and get any answer to anything that is needed. Uh, Along with that, anything that we find that is uh, updated information, we have a news to know. Uh, Mm -hmm. We put that out on a weekly basis and ensure that all of the members have that um, updates. Along with the educational items that we do uh, provide at our quarterly mm-hmm. meetings and then this conference. So uh, there's a lot and then you have a lot of networking. So with uh, the amount of vendors that we have, we're up to 50. Uh, any member could come and we could uh, ensure that they can meet the right people to mm-hmm. help them within their operations. Yeah, and I will say that too for the vendor listeners out there. We have quite a number of them. This is a good experience. The, they treat us very well as vendors here. We're, we've been a vendor for years and, and it's very important that you understand that there's a real good uh, opportunity to interact with the the people and the people that come through uh, to the tables have been very uh, attentive to us. Um, So, you know, the pandemic, of course, had a huge impact on the industry and and New York and New Jersey, both states, you know, the the state associations did not step back. They, you know, they they jumped in wholeheartedly. Talk about some of the lessons just quickly. You know, I know you have limited time here, but some of the lessons you learned from it and how that's changed your organization a bit. So I will tell you that when the pandemic did happen, when we were in that emergency state, we opened up our all of our communication to all of the yeah. surgery centers. So that way the Department of Health had that a line of communication so we can ensure that all mm-hmm. of the surgery centers were adhering to the EDs or the uh, EOs, uh, whichever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during that, we have still continued to make sure that we keep that commu- line of communication and and any changes or any any items that have to do with testing or you know how often should they do things, uh, you know what does the Cali score mean and mm-hmm. when they're in high, how many times do they have to test? So we you know continue to do that, and that's kind of been the biggest change I feel that I've seen is that the line of communication from the Department of Health has gotten mm-hmm. greater, and um, they really look at us as a resource to give information to our surgery centers. Right. So it's very helpful for them as well. We have a number of centers in New Jersey, and we as an organization rely upon answers from the state association, too. It's very quick to, to respond. Uh, anything else you want to say about what's what's going on with the state association? So I will also tell you that we have coming up in the wintertime or fall uh, an infection control program that will be accepted by the tar- Department of Health for mm-hmm. the education for the RN infection control at the at the facility level, right. not the uh, consultant, but not the the, uh, the actual. But right. everybody is um, needs to have an RN that oversees the infection control on site at right. the facility, and this will satisfy their educational needs from the Department of Health, as well as the ongoing needs. Not not just right. the initial, but also the ongoing the needs. Ongoing. Right. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Sheila. I know you have to run right now because you're pretty much introducing everybody. But I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, John, for Thanks. having me. My pleasure. So, Joe, thank you for joining us. Um, I always love talking about legislative issues. That's sarcasm, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just like the other states, we, we always have this interesting conversation when we're visiting these state associations to see the differences in the different states and the, the priorities that are going on. So tell me what's going on in New Jersey. Yeah, well, you just heard from Sheila, and, I, and I've got to say the association really stepped up mm-hmm. on the governmental end um, through the pandemic, and we were very... Um, integral in making sure that the industry not only survived but to continue to prosper even though there were severe regulations and quite frankly that's what we did before the pandemic and that's what we do after the pandemic we just are fresh from uh, amending a bill on uh, the elimination of surgical smoke a mandate um, to to eliminate surgical smoke, it seems to be a nationwide yeah. issue. Sponsored by AORN. I know we've yeah, been working AORN, with them, too. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And uh, while we didn't want to 
oppose the bill, there were certain aspects of the bill that were uh, burdensome to centers that right. actually do not produce surgical smoke. So we got an amendment. That's yeah. one of the things we do. We don't um, we don't allow these things to get out of hand mm-hmm. until uh, until it gets to the department or it gets to the executive branch. So we're very active. This is an extremely active group. Um, mm-hmm. And we push out this information. The board of directors, the government affairs teams, are excellent here. Um, our legislature is about to recess for the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll adopt a budget. We have a, a requirement that we have a balanced budget, unlike the federal, the federal government, government and other states. Yeah. We have to have a balanced budget by June 30th. It looks like um, the budget will be adopted sometime around the 23rd. In the meantime, we've been working on a bunch of issues. Uh, uh, one of the issues is the elimination of a collaborative practice with APNs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been involved in that. There's, it's been difficult because mm-hmm. the physician community still thinks yeah. that the collaborative practice is important. There's a bill that's up in committee on Monday capping fees for medical record requests and reproducing those. Mm-hmm. We have been involved in that and making mm-hmm. some amendments on that. We're still involved in um, in trying to fine-tune the arbitration process on out-of-network issues where an ASC or, or a patient finds themselves in, uh, in, in a situation where, I mean, as to them, they got an out-of-network uh, yeah. procedure, and there was a, a, a law that this organization was very um, integral part of, of adopting that needed some tweaking on yeah. the arbitration process, extending the period, the reporting, the necessary activity in the whole arbitration process, and then reporting out what the decision was and what the decision was mm-hmm. based on. Um, so you provided the feedback to the department so that they could understand how do you actually operationalize something. Exactly. Yeah. And and when the department understood that, they said, well, you know, there are limitations in the current law, so mm-hmm. you need to go back to the legislature and get it changed. So we're in the legislative process yeah, right yeah. now getting that tweak done, and that should be on the governor's desk before they recess. And we're also uh, working with um, the the Senate president, luckily, to have somebody with that kind of authority Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with prior authorization and making sure that the evaluation entities for the carriers and prior authorization is not a burden and that it's only used when necessary and that it's transparent. Yeah. Anything in the horizon that that, that you might uh, see coming down? To, I mean, there's been a lot of talk over time about the the rules with regard to infection control uh, consultants, you know, having to be certified as a CIC as opposed to some of the industry-specific ones. Yeah, and that's, that, that conversation is happening more and more at the federal level, yeah, not right. necessarily at the state level. But oftentimes when these things start to happen at the federal level, state legislators start to promulgate their own rules and regulations, yeah. which, quite frankly, is bothersome because... Let it play out at the federal level. Let everybody know what's going yeah. on state by state. New Jersey's a border state. We can we, we cross over borders to yeah. buy a loaf of bread. Right. So, you know, we, we depend upon the federal uh, right. process to, to help in that. Well, and, and also to avoid things like the No Surprises Act, which, you know, has exactly. many different versions, both at the state and the federal level. Which and we're dealing from, with that now, yeah. too, because yeah. the, the No Surprises Act is in contrast to some of the things that we pass through on our out-of-network right. um, uh, arbitration process. Yeah. I appreciate your time, Joe. This is great. You know, again, uh, the, the State Association does a great job for its members. It is important that you as members out there be on top of this type of information. And really, the only way that you can do that is by, you know, maintaining a, a membership here where uh, you can uh, you get the news on uh, before it goes. And also to be part of that process of, uh, of providing feedback to the Department of Health and to the legislature. Yeah, I think it's one of the key benefits to be on the cutting edge of knowing exactly what's coming out from the government. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource 
for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.